TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Where did he be at when they said it? Time to bring on Christian Fowler, senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. We have a podcast. It's called the On the Bluff Podcast. You can find it on YouTube, full video link, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. He's on X at C Fowler BCM. Christian how we doing, brother? Doing wonderful. Best part of my Tuesday, Gabe. Oh, of course. I know it always is. I know it always. Do you take? A, I, I never ask you this. You take a little break from work, get away for a second to talk to me. Is that how this this all goes down? That's exactly how this goes down. So that's nice for you. You get your lunch break, and then you uh, and then you come talk to me. Yep, exactly. That's, that's fantastic. Um, now you're headed to a wedding this weekend. Um, I am. Are you Are you excited for said wedding? I can't wait. I'm so excited. Uh, I know it's been a long time coming for you and Taylor. Uh, so in all seriousness, uh, happy for you guys, excited for you guys. Uh, love you, brother, and can't wait yes, to sir. see you this love weekend. Yes, sir. Love you too, man. But uh, I'll, I'll ask this. What do, you, what do we think of Ryan Silverfield's comments on uh, on weddings during football season? He says that uh, <laughs> I saw, I saw he's, hit the nail on the head. He says, he says that uh, I only put him on uh, – I only invited him – for the registry because I knew he couldn't come. Uh, what else did he say? He says I'm a legend of my own mind. You think he hit the nail on the head though? With every every bit of every bit of those comments. I think it was it was pretty hilarious. It was a pretty pretty great comment from Coach Silverfield. Uh, he was very respectful to Taylor though. He was not crossing Taylor or her planning of the wedding or when she planned it. Uh, but he wasn't holding back on you. Basically, you just uh, you were just in for for the present that that he would buy you because you know he's got plenty of money to to spend. Yeah, and so we got pretty we, funny. We got to talk I mean like it, super producer Kenny Stubblefield did not set me up very great calling me podcast legend and radio <laughs> radio legend. No, he set you up to get smashed and yeah. that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's fantastic. Of course, but I I, I expect nothing less from Kenny. Kenny was ready no, for that. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. It was it was pretty hilarious though. It called me. I know it called you off guard too. He sent us that clip. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, why is he sending us a clip from from Ryan's press conference? And then I listened to it and I was like, oh my gosh, no, he didn't. <laughs> right. Right. Now, um, well, you have Players Club tonight. What, what's the yeah. uh, what's what's the plan tonight over at? Uh, um, let's see. Let it fly in Germantown, seven p.m. Yes, so we will be at Let It Fly tonight, like you said, seven o'clock. Let me let me pull up the list. I know last week I, I yeah. messed that up a little bit. Let's see. So this week we've got Sutton Smith, Demir Blancomsey, Derek Hunter, and Greg Rubin. So we got go. really really good lineup. How has that week. been going? Like if the, the guys seem to be pretty pretty damn open about their their thoughts each week. 
Yeah, no, it's been really good. And sometimes, you know, I've been doing this for a minute now and interviewing a lot of people. And sometimes when you interview people, it feels like it's that obligation and you you don't really know how it's going to go. So going into the first week, I was kind of, I was kind of excited and intrigued to see what their reaction would be to doing this. Um, It's been more receptive as of late. Just in generally speaking, like players doing right. media and stuff, has been more been more accepted as of late because of how many players are getting into like podcasting and stuff like that. And it it couldn't it couldn't be any better than it is. Every single person, I think we've had sixteen players come through now. Every single one of them has been extremely appreciative that we've had them on. I think three or four of them have asked us like how to start a podcast and and you know are interested right. in starting their own podcast and stuff like that. Uh, and so just giving them the opportunity to to get their face out there and to build their brand. And that's that's kind of what I tell them every week heading into it. Like, this isn't some hard-hitting Q&A where right. uh, we want to know all the ins and outs of the machine and stuff like that. It's more of an opportunity for fans to get to know you and you uh, to, to be able to continue to build your brand. So they've been very receptive to it. Um, and everyone's done a really good job at, at telling their story. That's kind of what the second half of the players club is, is kind of just allowing them to tell their story, talk about their journey and how they got uh, to the point where, where they're at now. And yeah. so it's been really cool. Big, big fan of it and can't wait to con- continue doing it throughout the season. I'll tell you a guy who showed his personality last week was Davion Carter. And he was talking about that Mizzou game very candidly. He said, we want to win this game. We think we can win this game and we want to be ranked afterwards. Now they didn't win that Mizzou game in St. Louis. What are, what are your immediate thoughts about, the loss in general by seven they came down tried to make it close at the end the onside kick we had a little uh sec officiating going on there they said the t needed to be out there that's not the truth but uh well what what were your overarching thoughts yeah you mentioned davion carter he needs to be a comedian that dude is absolutely hilarious uh but the game in and of itself I'm with you. We talked about this at length last night about moral victories are a thing of the past for Memphis football, and I I couldn't agree more. I don't think you can – I think in games always you can can take positives and negatives. We do it every single week, win or loss. We're going to talk about positives and negatives. But moral victories as far as like, well, at least Memphis was competitive and they stayed in the game. Well, they were only six-and-a-half-point underdogs. So Vegas and the odds makers weren't expecting them to – to get blown out in this game. And I know a lot of times when people see an SEC school and a, and a group of five school, uh, non-power five school, you immediately think blowout. But it wasn't expected to be. You have a mediocre to bottom-tier SEC team and, and a, an American Athletic Conference team that's expected to be pretty good throughout the season. So it, it ended up about how at least Vegas expected it to. I, I wish – that Memphis would have been able to take better care of the ball because yep. overall, overall offensively, they played pretty well for a team that really couldn't get the run going. Seth did not play bad in this game. That's not what I'm saying. I think he played relatively well. He found Rock Taylor early and often. Uh, he had the biggest game of his career with 143 yards. Uh, they were able to get uh, Blake Watson heavily involved, who were both huge fans of Blake Watson and what he does and think he is a very, very good running back. But just the turnovers, uh, two interceptions and the one, you know, on fourth and five, you're trying to make a play. I get it. But that's just such a it's such a bad time to have a turnover. Uh, And anyway, it's going to be a turnover on downs anyway, if you don't get it. So I understand trying to make a play. But just in that situation, not being able to convert is tough. 
um, and then two fumbles as well that fortunately Memphis was able to recover. Obviously, it didn't help them win the game that they, that they did recover those fumbles. But overall, it, it's not – it doesn't discourage me about this team. It doesn't make me think this is going to be a, a terrible team that – doesn't have success in the in the AAC, but it's one of those games where you look at it and you go, Memphis really could have won this game and almost should have. Like, right. It's two things. If they limit big plays and limit turnovers, then they win that game. Uh, and, and they may win it by double digits. Honestly, if they limit big plays and, and don't turn the ball over twice, uh, Memphis really could have won that game. I don't want to say easily, but they, they could have won the game. Um, so there's good and bad from it, but we'll really get to see what this team is made of now. Uh, we get to see how they respond to their first loss of the season. I would imagine with kind of the things that I've heard around the program after the loss that it's only going to continue to go up. Uh, everyone seems I don't encouraged, I think, is the wrong word because I don't think you're encouraged after a loss. But I think it was a little bit of validation. I think we hadn't seen them play a team that was even relatively decent up to this point. Yeah. So they played at least a solid team and they had a chance to win. So I think they feel good about where they're at, and I think we'll see that throughout the rest of the season. We'll see We'll see which way it goes, that's for sure. And I think a lot of fans are frustrated. You feel like it may have gone different if it was in the Liberty Bowl, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Now, um, right. is there something slightly amiss with Seth Hennigan? Like, I, I – I think I've been here all year. The two the two picks versus Bethune Cookman were not right, and he's got five picks already this year. It feels like you know taking care of the football is something he needs to value a little bit more, and it feels like he's putting the ball in harm's way. Uh, maybe he's a little slow to his reads at times. We still see the flashes, like we still see the flashes. The ball to Joe Skates, I will I'm, I fully stand by. Great great throw in a great spot on fourth and goal. He had one down the sideline to Rock Taylor that was beautiful. Rock had to pull it in. And by the way, Rock was phenomenal. Seven catches, 143 yards. Um, but is there something amiss, in your opinion, with Seth Hennigan in, in year three as a starter? I think they've just got to find a way to speed up his reads. Uh, you mentioned that he's kind of been slow going through his progressions, and I think that's where the turnovers are coming from, that he's been so slow in his progressions that DBs are able to get a beat on that and uh, and beat the receiver to the spots on these turnovers. So. And I, and I don't know exactly what the answer to that is. Like, is it incorporating the, the quick screen game, slants, easy completions early in Austin and kind of getting him into more rhythm. Of a rhythm? Or is it, you know, maybe he hits a big play and his confidence. I have no idea what the answer is. But however they can, however they can find a way to speed up his progressions, if it's doing more RPO action to give him less reads and he's only reading half the field in an end – I don't know the exact answer to it, but I think if he's able to speed that up, and I don't even think it's trusting himself because I think Seth is extremely confident and he trusts himself and he trusts his arm uh, and he trusts uh, his his mental, his brain, his football IQ. He trusts that for sure. It's just about making the right read and making it quicker, and I think those turnover numbers go down, which in turn makes that offense much, much better if they're able to limit turnovers, obviously running the ball, uh, is going to help is going to help him as well. I feel like at times you can see that he kind of feels like he's carrying a lot of weight and pressure, uh, which in games like uh, Saturday against Missouri he is because when there's no run game it's all on his right arm. So yeah. I get it, I understand it. They just have to figure out a way to speed up his progression and limit turnovers. Um, defensively, this was not a good game for the Tigers. I don't think uh, 542 total yards given up. Uh, Brady Cook was 
pretty phenomenal, I think, all said and done, especially uh, being somewhat hobbled as he was with that, you know, all week, didn't really get to practice with a hyperextended knee, he had 341, two TDs, no INTs. It was really the big plays that they gave up over top, and it, it started with Jabari Johnson, one, one catch for 76 yards in the TD, and Luther Burden was just unstoppable. Um, it's weird, though. I, I, I see the 521 yards of total offense, and usually I would – Say, oh my gosh, this defense is is terrible. I don't know what's going to happen going forward. Can they rebound? Um, where where's their confidence going to be after this? I don't know if I viewed this game as some huge shot against this Memphis defense. I still feel like they have a lot out in front of them, and they and they have more talent than they ever have, and they they certainly could uh, maybe against other other opponents. You know, Boise State, Tulane coming up, they they could show up and show out. I, I'm not fully discouraged by it, but are you? I'm not fully discouraged by it, but one thing that does discourage me is the big plays because even against Navy, we saw Navy right. knock a couple of big runs. And, and so if this team or if this defense is going to be a defense that plays well for most of the game but allows you to get three to five big you know, 30-plus yard plays, then that is extremely detrimental. I mean, they can't be a team that is you know solid against the run and they – haven't been the last two games, but if, hey, let's just say that's what they're known for for the stretch of the season. Their front seven's good. They're good against the run. They can get pressure, but they uh, have a tendency to allow big plays. Well, then it's all kind of null and void. So they've got to they've got to be able to shore up allowing big plays. That that will come back to haunt them. That will come back to bite them if they consistently in every game are allowing big plays. Because when you play teams like Boise State and Tulane and SMU, you can't afford to let them score quickly if they're going to score if they're going to put together drives at least make them earn it don't allow them to go 75 yards over the top or rip off a run and I I think I think part of it could be from the aggressiveness which I'm okay with I would much rather I would much rather a team allow big plays from being aggressive than just sitting back and playing soft Uh, so I get it I understand it I think there's just a, a level of execution that we're going to have to see this defense take a step in that direction towards execution overall, just schematically, uh, to shore up the big plays. I think they can do it. They have the personnel to do it. I think Matt Barnes has the system to do it. They just have to put it all together, and they have to do it quickly because you you can't lose these next couple of games. The defense has to play well against Boise State and against Tulane. Quite frankly, their saving grace that kept them uh, looking good or at least somewhat okay in that in that Mizzou game is they did – and this, we know that this has been a big point of emphasis, you know, the past, what, five, six years, is they got off the field on third down. Now, there weren't as many third downs as you'd expect. There were only eight for Mizzou, but they were 0 for 8 on third down and still won that game by seven. That, that right. Memphis defense on third down did get off the field, and I do think they get some credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the money down. That is the down that you have to stop teams on. You can be the best first and second down defense in the country, but if you can't stop anybody on third down, you're going to have a bad defense, just plain and simple. Now, like you said, Memphis didn't force as many third downs as you would hope for uh, in a game of that magnitude, but overall that's a, that's a good sign that the third down defense is good. And the other thing that is tough about this game is they weren't able to force any turnovers. Yep. Memphis's defense has been very good at forcing turnovers this year. Uh, it's another what-if type of scenario if they were able to get the ball back to their offense a couple of times, of course. But that has to continue. You know, that has to that has to come back. We have to see that. We have to see a defense that's 
able to force turnovers and swing momentum and get the offense the ball back because they were so good at that in the first several games, and then it just it just didn't happen. They just didn't get the right bounces. They weren't in the right spots to force their to force those turnovers, uh, and that's you know another reason why they weren't able to stop Missouri a little bit more and and ultimately win that game. Talking with Christian Fowler at C Fowler BCM on X. How important? And I know I talked about it yesterday. But I want you to put it into your own words. How how important are these next two games, Boise State and Tulane? Yeah, I mean, you you, you can't even really put it into words how important these next two games are. Um, if you lose these two games, the season is shot. From a engagement perspective, from any kind of momentum that you're building or hoping to build, you lose the Boise State and Tulane at home, it's shot. Um, yep. Because... These are two games that could be good draws for the fan base and that could, you know, generate some more excitement around the program. And if you lose them, it's not good. Now, on the flip side, if you win those games, you're looking really, really good in conference play and really good for the rest of the season. I know that Tulane game is the second conference game behind the Navy game, and obviously Boise State isn't a conference game. But just overall, you don't have many threats in the AAC. And if you're able to beat – the proposed biggest threat in Tulane, all you have left really is SMU. As long as you're not overlooking teams and you're focused on those games against the lesser teams, Memphis is going to win right. those games. They're not good football teams. Like, let's just call it what it is. It's the truth. They're not great teams. So as long as you don't overlook them, you take care of what you're supposed to take care of, and you pull these two games off, like, it, it still could be a very, very successful season for Memphis and for Ryan Silverfield. Like, it's all on the table. Everything's in front of them. I know a loss. I know no one wants to see a loss, and a lot of people were excited about that game and thought they could win that game. But ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a big deal. You lost to an SEC team. It's not a conference game. I promise you, I know some Memphis fans would probably say we would have rather beat Missouri than Navy just because of the name value of it. I disagree with that. You've got to win conference games. Memphis needs to win conference games. This was a fun game, a neutral site game that was supposed to be at home, but you got to go, you know, stack up against the SEC team and see where you were. You ultimately lost, but it doesn't matter for the rest of the season. Like, you can still go to the AAC championship game. You can still – everything's still in front of you. So, I know that's kind of a long-winded answer, but these first two games, I believe, really set up what's left for the rest of the season. So, if you win these – splitting these games really, to me, isn't even like – Wonderful. I mean, yes, it's right. definitely better than going zero and two in them. But like, if they want to make noise, if they want to be some kind of special team in this program's history, then winning these two games, they, they have to. Yeah, no question. Now, I have had a tough. I have a tough time reading Boise State. Taylor Green is their quarterback. He came in last year and really got that offense going. Right, like he he looks solid. Uh, big, tall guy uh, can use his legs a tad bit. But I, I, you know, they lost. Badly. I mean, they got spanked by Washington first game of the year. We don't have to hide that. It was 56-19. Michael Penix just picked them apart limb from limb. UCF was the next game, 18-16, to really low scoring, uncomfortable. They showed their defense. Then they had North Dakota, an FCS game. And then last week they go on the road to San Diego State, who is generally good. But San Diego State is is known for defense, and I don't think offensively they're they're uh, they're anything you need to worry about. And they gave up 31 points. Granted, they won 34 uh, 31. I believe Ashton Genty is their uh, running back. He had 205 yards, two TDs. So clearly, we're we're going to have to you know 
when, when you look at this this Memphis defense, they're going to have to lock down and make sure that they don't give up big plays in the run game. But are you having as much trouble getting a read on this game as I am? Obviously, Vegas has a little bit of trouble as well with Boise State on the road, and the Tigers are, I think, two-and-a-half or three-and-a-half-point favorites, depending on where you look. Yeah, absolutely, because it, you rewind it to that Washington game. Yes, they got blown out in that game, but early in that game, they didn't look bad. Like, for the first – I think it was the first quarter of maybe half of the first quarter. Like, it was a close game. It was going back and forth. Boise State was getting some stops. Taylor Green was hitting some downfield shots, and then obviously Michael <laughs> Penix took that game over. Right. And then, like you said, they come out against San Diego State. It's you know, They win, but it's not necessarily pretty. Uh, they didn't play well against UCF. So it, it's been a mixed bag, but mainly bad for Boise State. And Memphis does not want to be their get-right game. Like right. Memphis does not want to be the team that they finally put it all together on both sides of the ball against. I think Memphis is the better team in this game. Obviously, it helps them being at home as well. But it's one of those games where it's like you have an offense that can be dynamic. They've shown, like you said, they showed last year that they could be dynamic. Uh, they've shown at least in times at, at times this year that they can be dynamic. Uh, but Taylor Green's suffered from the same things as Seth Hennigan had. Has he's turned the ball over a lot? So that's the first key right there is turning them over, being able to get extra possessions from a quarterback. I think he's thrown four interceptions this year, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So mm-hmm. being able to force turnovers, like you said, being able to stop the run. They want to run the ball and they want to run the ball to set up the deep shots. That's really that's really kind of what they want to do. Set up the run or use the run to set up the deep balls. So if you don't let that get going, then I don't think you're as worried about the big plays. But overall, I like Memphis in this game. I think they match up well. Um, I, I don't think Boise State has a great defense, especially a pass defense. And if Memphis is able to get Rock Taylor and Demir Blankumpsi and yep. Blake Watson going, then they should have success in this game. I think you feel good about what Rock Taylor showed, right? Under the lights against an SEC opponent, 143 yards. Uh, I mean, and he was, he, I mean, even at a tunnel screen, he's not known for a run after the catch, but he had like a 50 yard tunnel screen that he took and it set up a, a scoring drive, a, a touchdown drive. But one thing that I'm I'm just curious about, you have Blake Watson leading the team in receptions. He's second in receiving yards. Who else do you expect to step up? You bring up Demir Blankumsi, but ever since that Bethune-Cookman game, it's been kind of tough to get him going. He he did get targeted the most on the entire team in that Mizzou game, but it just it, he didn't he didn't have that dynamic run after catch ability that we thought he was going to have coming into the year. Do you expect him to get going as the season wears along? Yeah, it just feels like it's coming at some point. That, that's what that's how I feel about Demir Blankumpsi. Like we saw, we saw it early in the season, and quality of opponents a big a big side right. note on that one. But we we know what we know what he can do. Like we saw it in the spring game as well. You and I were standing on the sidelines when he made the one really big explosive play. And I know at this point that's months ago and doesn't matter at all. But it shows you what he can do. It shows you that he's dynamic. Clearly, they want to get the ball in his hands. He had eleven targets against Missouri, so they, they know that he's good with the ball in his hands. It's just about getting him the ball down the field, being able to stretch the field with him. And if if that's using the short game with him early on as a slot guy, slant, quick screen, stuff like that to draw defensive backs up, and to draw defensive backs up, and that's what you have to do. But ultimately, I feel like at some point, don't know when, he is going to make his mark on this offense, and they really need him to because – Rock has stepped up, like you mentioned. I think the last two games, he's like 13 catches, 
for 210 yards and a touchdown. Easily the best stretch of his career uh, this past week was the best game of his career. The week before that was the best game of his career. So Rock is Rock is ascending in front of our eyes, and he needs a, a running mate that can stretch the field and help him hit those intermediate plays and continue to excel in the middle of the field and on back shoulder phase and stuff like that. And then, of course, as we all know, what this does for everything else, if you're if you got Rock rolling and you got Demir rolling, then your running game should continue to open up. So I think it's coming. Hopefully they're able to get it done this week because it, it helps them tremendously if they have two dangerous weapons at receiver rather than just one. Mm-hmm. No question. Talk with uh, Christian Fowler at C. Fowler BCM on X. Now let's throw it back. Let's talk about Mike Norvell at Florida State. He goes into Clemson this weekend in OT. They get over top. And I, I just can't shake the fact, Christian, like it was the Tulsa game in 2019. Now you have this game here in 2023. Field goal kickers missing unmissable field goals have absolutely raised the ceiling of many teams he's been on, two teams in particular so far. And now he finds himself in the top five. I don't think Ohio State should have jumped them, but obviously they beat Notre Dame on the road. So I think there's a lot of people who, who vote on the AP poll that are going to give Ohio State the benefit of, over, benefit of the doubt over uh, Florida State. But, man, he, is, he has been blessed by some bad field goal kicking. Yeah, what was this one? This week, twenty nine. I think twenty nine yards. Yeah, 29. guy. But this was a guy that Dabo pulled off the street. What the week before? Right. Well, he was. I think he was in the program for four years. Could never crack the rotation. Could never win the job. And uh, ultimately left the program. Their kicker got hurt, and then they brought him in on it Monday. Was, it was a, it was a great story. Till it wasn't though, wasn't it? That's that's oh, always yeah, that's, fun. It's a great story to talk about. I think it's Jonathan White's White, is his name. Yeah. But then you know we, we, he hits the thirty yard early in the game. Everybody's rejoicing. His family's up in up in a uh, box, a, a suite, having a whole lot of fun. Then he misses the twenty nine yarder, and you go, okay, maybe this story this this story took a diabolical turn. He's the reason that Clemson is not going to be in the college football playoff this year. That Clemson's uh, national championship hopes are completely dashed. Yeah, and the announcers were like hinting at it all game like this could come down to a Jonathan White kick and ultimately <laughs> yeah, right. ultimately they hit the nail on the head and it did and he missed it um but overall I know a lot of people are, are kind of like okay whatever like Florida State beat Clemson and especially after the, the way that they beat LSU earlier in the year it just kind of seemed like uh, whatever to a lot of people this was a to me this was a lot bigger deal and a lot harder game to win for Florida State and for Mike Norvell on the road at Clemson. I think it was it Clemson's home opener. Am I or am I wrong on that? Um, maybe, maybe I, they, on I think they I think they had an FCS game. Yeah, they well yeah. no they had no it's it was not. That was the third game at home. They had uh, Charleston oh, okay. Southern then FAU. Okay. Uh, regardless, though, that's a tough place to play. Even though Clemson hasn't been the same team over the last couple of years, it's a, that's a tough place to play. They have talent. Like, let's not act like Clemson doesn't have talent all over the field. Of course they do. Uh, the Kate Klubnick being a very highly recruited quarterback. Will Shipley, very highly recruited running back, who uh, going into this week was leading the country in all-purpose yards a game uh, because he returns as well. And then on the defensive side, they arguably have the best linebacker room in college football with Barrett Carter and Jeremiah Trotter, like they've got very, very good players. They still have guys that are going to be highly drafted after this season. So to go into a hostile environment, to beat that team on the road in the way that they did it, um, you, you've seen what Mike Novell and the staff have done with Jordan Travis. I've talked about it before, just the way that 
you really can't shake that dude, uh, which is good to see for, from him because he came into college as a very talented player, had his ups and downs, but he's pretty much unshakable. Like regardless of if he makes a mistake or the defense allows a score in an inopportune time, like he comes back and makes plays. So oh, what that team has, quarterback, skill positions, the guys on the defense, Jared Verse, like overall – very good team. I know some people weren't too excited about the win over Clemson, but like I said, I, I feel like it's a big win for them on the road. And it, it's cool to see Mike Norvell succeeding because for right. so many years, for the first couple of years, it was, this isn't going to work, is it? Mm-hmm. Like, they're going to have to try to find a new coach. Like, Norvell's not the guy. And Lost now, to Jacksonville just, State on a, on a last second heave. Right, right, right. Right. So, to see how far they've come, what he's done with, you know, his roster now and how he's developed some of the guys that were left over, it's it, it's a really cool story. So I'm happy for them. I, th- I think they're definitely, to me, probably top three team in the country right now. Yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't be. I don't see why uh, why why they should be underrated at this point. You see what they have. That, that wide receiver core is unbelievable. And Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. You have Jaheim Bell. Uh, I, I like Trey Benson as a running back. We know Mike Norvell can dial it up. So I, I, I like what that team has going. They could get tripped up, I guess, by Miami or Duke. But... I, I would still think they'd be favored in both of those games. We'll see when we get to those. Um, last thing on college football before I make fun of you about your Cowboys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Colorado got a uh, – I mean, Dan Lanning said before the game, we're rooted in substance, they're rooted in style. And quite frankly, I find that to be the truth. People got offended by it. It's the truth right now. Does that mean that the substance will never catch up to their style? By no means. By no means. I feel like Coach Prime can go recruit this offseason, have that substance catch up, but they're not good enough in the trenches. We saw it through the first three games, even though they won. Uh, But uh, Shador has been sacked 22 times through four games. Oregon is just good all over the field. They're a better football team. And if you were paying attention, you saw that one coming from a mile away. Yeah, you said it perfectly on the podcast last night. You said, as as football guys, you were like, as football guys, me and you kind of knew that this was coming. And the writing was on the wall. I mean, they played an overtime game against Colorado State two weeks ago and had to squeak out a win over Colorado State. And some people could say, well, you know, good teams and bad teams. They have, Alabama just beat South Florida by 14 a couple. You know, like there's that conversation behind it, but it's optically what the team looked like. You mentioned the offensive line. The defense has been very leaky even in that TCU game. Uh, which overall, TCU was never that good to begin with. Yes, they went to the national championship last year, but they lost Max Duggan and Quentin Johnson and Kendra Miller and uh, Tomlinson Hodges. Like, they lost all of their good players from that team. So I know some people were kind of scratching their heads. Like, if you're kind of a casual college football fan or a casual football fan, a lot of people were scratching their heads. 21-and-a-half-point underdogs, the top 25 team in the country going against the number 10 team in the country. Why are they 21-and-a-half-point underdogs? Well, because they really haven't beaten anyone, and if you watched it, you saw the deficiency that this team had. Really, their only strength, maybe their only strength, period, was Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter when Travis Hunter was playing. One of them was out. One of them was out, exactly. And Dylan Edwards has had his moments of receiving core other than Travis Hunter with Jimmy Horn and Xavier Weaver. Yes, they've played well at times, but they don't have any elite guys on that football team other than Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter. Like, those are their two elite guys. And that's kind of what it came down to. It's just It was too overwhelming. And not only did they lose, but that 21-and-a-half point line was a joke. Because yeah, they got right, blown. it got blown through. Yeah, and, but I'm with you. Like, I'm not trying to sit here and 
be like, I don't believe in Deion Sanders. I've listened to the way that he talks. Did you hear the clip of, of what he said him and Jimmy Horn's conversation was on the sideline in that Colorado State game? He said, I, Jimmy had a tough game. He said, I love you. I know where you've come from. You're a dog. You're going to make it happen. Then he then he scores basically the game-tying touchdown. Obviously, they had to get the two-point conversion, but he, he did score to lead to that. Right. Right, and saying that his his dad was incarcerated and saying that your dad's sitting right. in jail right now watching this game, wanting to clap and cheer in front of all of his cellmates that his son is, you know, putting on in front of the country. Yeah. I, I absolutely believe in Dion. Like that is that is top tier coaching in my opinion. Like I get it, coaching has to be hard, but good coaches and we've talked about this before. I don't know if we talked about it on here, but just in I know off camera or off air we've definitely talked about it. Just the fact that coaches have a very difficult job and the fact that they have to know how to coach players differently. There are some players that you have to be hard on, and there are some players that in moments you can be hard on them, but in other moments they need a different kind of coaching. And he clearly has that, that because there's not, there, there's not many coaches that would do that. So I am not saying I'm out on Deion Sanders or anything like that. I think it just takes time for talent to catch up. Like they've got to get bigger up front on both sides of the ball. They don't. They really have a pretty much no-name defense outside of Travis Hunter. Like they just don't have a lot of very uh, elite-level players on that defense. So I think eventually, give it two or three years, they're going to be a really good football team because who doesn't want to go play for Deion Sanders? They've got five stars taking visits there, and you think he's not going to understand very quickly? I'm sure he already understands where they're deficient at, and you don't think he already has a plan to attack that. So I'm not out on them. I just think that they're not very good this year. They shouldn't have been very good this year. They've already tripled their win total from last year. So he's done an incredible job already if they weren't to win another game, which I don't believe that'll happen uh, because I believe their quarterback is too good. But, yes, it's going to take time. It's, it's, not a, it's not a one-year thing. You can't turn over a whole roster in a year and compete for a national championship. But I could see Deion Sanders being that level of a coach and this being that level of a team when it's when it really he's able to develop and get guys in a mix between high school and transfer guys. The, the brighter days are ahead for them. Yeah. Like this is this is a speed bump in what's probably going to be a very very cool story and journey. All right, um, Cowboys. What the hell was that? I I asked this question yesterday. Twenty eight sixteen to a team that we thought is good was probably going to hold the number one overall pick going into next year's draft. Now, granted, I think it'll be the Bears now because they're just a dumpster fire. And the and the Cardinals. I mean, at the end of the day, they are pretty damn feisty. But what got exposed about the Cowboys is the one thing you didn't want to see get exposed in that way. It's their run defense. defense. They couldn't do anything. 30 rushes, 222 yards. James Conner ran all over them. Josh Dobbs ran all over them. Rondale Moore ran all over them. Uh, It was a 7.4 average. It's just it's not winning football. Now, I'm not out on the Cowboys by any stretch of the imagination, but this does prove what we always know year to year with them. Even in, in games against bad opponents, there's an upset possibility where, like with the Chiefs or like, you know, uh, the Bills or, so, you know, uh, maybe I'm bringing up a bad example with the Bills because they just lost to the Jets, but the Jets are a good defensive football team. But uh, you, you just know this type of thing's possible. It's frustrating. It's frustrating to see the Cowboys, who I picked to win the NFC, lose this type of game. Yeah, and I will say the Chiefs have done it as well. They did it last year, same week, week three played a terrible Colts team and lost. So it's possible to lose to bad teams and still be good. Um, But, yes, this is what I told you the last two weeks. This is why I wasn't 
you know, going all out. Right. The Cowboys the best team in the NFC because I knew I knew the run game deficiency. I knew it was there. Like I saw it in uh, in week one. And Mozzie, Mozzie's not fixing anything drive. his rookie year, even yeah, though he's exactly. a first round guy. Exactly. I saw it in the first game on the first drive against the Giants. This run defense up the middle is still weak, and it's not going to get fixed overnight. So I knew that deficiency was still there. And it was last year as well. They were a top defense last year, but when they were not in a positive script game where teams were still able to run the ball, they ran the ball effectively. And uh, and that's what happened. They were never able to get a lead on Arizona, so they were able to run the ball. Josh Dobbs played well. Dallas was without three of their starting offensive linemen. Tyler Biotish, uh, Zach Martin, and Tyron Huge. Smith were all out, and it's difficult. To Robert Griffin the third without... says they miss Zeke, though. <laughs> Robert Griffin the third says they miss Zeke. Not not yeah, the, the not that, the not the two Hall of Fame off or the two right. Pro Bowl offensive linemen in the uh, in great center. Yeah, that's that's, that's absurd. They is. don't miss Zeke. They don't miss Zeke at all. Tony Pollard's looked really well. Rico Dowdle and Deuce Vaughn have been fine as backup running backs. So they don't miss Zeke. Yeah, I saw a lot of people saying that too. They don't have a hammer around. Well, the whole they line. need a damn healthy O line. That's it. Right, right. If you have, if you have. If you have if you have those three guys in the game, then those goal line opportunities when they're trying to run the ball, they probably have some more open holes. But overall, it was a bad game. Yeah. Now it's it'll be kind of interesting now to see how they respond to this. They got the Patriots on Sunday, which is I don't care what anybody says. Playing against the New England New England Patriots is never easy. Like very rarely does this team get smoked or blown out. It's just hard to beat the Patriots, especially with how they're coached defensively. So that'll be intriguing. I think they can win that game. I think they're a touchdown favorite in that game. But then two weeks from now, they play San Francisco on Sunday night. And then we'll really see. We'll see. Like, we'll, we'll really be able to see then like what this team is made of because right. San Francisco is rolling and the best team in football right now. For sure. For sure. I understand that. I get it. I, well, maybe the Dolphins, but we'll, we'll, the Dolphins. we'll revisit this. We'll revisit this. But, Christian, appreciate the heck out of it, man. Can't wait to see you this weekend. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. See you all next week. Gabe, I'll see you on Saturday. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You'll see Connor, too. So there is that. But that is Christian Fowler at C. Fowler BCM on X. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
hearts. <laughs>